How's it going, everybody? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. And today we'll be talking about St. Thomas Aquinas' view of free will, and I'm going to get right into it. But before that, um, if you have not joined the Discord, I will write in the stream chat, send a link to join the Discord. Because that's very important if you want to get in more involved. And then also uh, very important is patreon.com. Let's see if I can spell right. Dot com slash militant Thomist, where you can get access to um, other articles that I write. You can also get access to other channels in the discord, which is very important. And uh, Chip Cole has a question real quick. Is this your third stream in three hours? Yes, it is. Because I'm the militant Thomist, not the beta Thomist. So let's get right into it. Um, this is actually from Summa Theologiae Prima Pars. And I was wrong. It's not question 84. It's question 83 um, on free will. And I was I read it a few times uh, today um, I had on my breaks on work. And I thought this was very important, especially with those coming from a Protestant background where these debates are very um, forward, and also those from a Catholic background who may be confused at what I said about predestination the other day on my stream. So let's get right into it. Article one, whether man has free will. So let's go to the on the, contra the said contra first. So on the contrary, it is written, God made man from the beginning and left him in the hand of his own counsel. And the gloss adds that of his free will. So St. Thomas is affirming the existence of something called free will, but we have to be very careful in how we're defining our terms. So I answer that man has free will, otherwise counsels, exhortations, commands, prohibitions, rewards, and punishments would be in vain. So St. Thomas's proof, this is really his proof right here before he goes into the explanation down below, is that you can't really have commands if there isn't a at least some sort of contrariety. So whether you can choose to obey those commands or not choose to obey those commands, otherwise those would not exist. Or exhortations of St. Paul was exhorting them to love the Lord their God or to, um, or to not commit adultery or something like that. It would be silly for him to um, exhort them to do to not commit adultery if, in fact, they had no rational faculties to choose whether to commit adultery or not. So let's continue. In order to make this evident, we must observe that some things act without judgment. So notice the fact that we have judgment, the fact that we are able to take in certain conceptions and propositions, exhortations, commands, and act on that is going to be fundamental to his definition of free will. So whether there's judgment. So let's continue. As a stone moves downwards and in like manners, all things which lack knowledge. And some act from judgment, but not free judgment as brute animals. For the sheep seeing the wolf judges it a thing to be shunned from the natural and not a free judgment because it judges not from reason, but from natural instinct. And the same thing is to be said of any judgment from brute animals. So here we have two categories. 
And then the third of man is about to be added. So the first is a stone, a stone from the necessity of its, of its existence really moves downward by gravity. If the stone has no judgment or choice in the manner. And then we have a second category, a second species, which is going to be brute animals. So brute animals can said to judge, um, a proposition uh, for example you have a dog and it in, in the intellectual conception of food is going to desire and act towards eating that food but it can't be said to be from judgment the dog doesn't go through and think of certain factors of whether he wants to eat or not the dog is not going to be concerned about his own weight or health or anything he's just going to eat because that's the nature of a dog but now down here, he's going to explain how this works in man. Man acts from judgment because by his apprehensive power, he judges that something should be avoided or sought. So with the apprehensive power of man, that can be uh, conceived of like the rational faculties because we apprehend a certain thing. And then in that, we work through uh, judging the various aspects and benefits and uh and stuff like that of a certain thing we when we are uh, faced with a certain situation we don't just like a snap go and do it we we think about it we consider it and that's really essential um to what we refer to as free will the judging of something whether it should be avoided or sought from the apprehensive power that's what free will is going to be but because this judgment in the case of some particular act is not from a natural instinct, but from some act of comparison in the reason. So because we don't just instinctively act a certain way, but we reason about it. Therefore, he acts from free judgment and retains the power of being inclined to various things. So we can know that we have a free will because our actions aren't just merely instinctual. And now this is this is especially highlighted um, if we look at the way in which the New Testament will talk about sinners and uh, the act of sin. So uh, St. Paul, I believe it's St. Paul, will talk about people bound to their sins as being brute animals because they're not acting in judging and then making a decision. That's not how they're acting. For example, they may see uh, a beautiful woman and then from the instincts of their, uh, their sin, they will incline instantaneously towards lusting after them and towards uh, committing lustful acts. So for reason, so for reason in contingent matters may follow opposite courses, as we see in dialectic syllogisms and rhetorical arguments. So when we're talking about here contingent manners, we're talking about, um, for example, uh, how I explained it before, the bones of Christ not being broken. There's nothing in the nature of the bones of Christ that made them unbreakable. They still could be broken or could not be broken, but they weren't broken because of some other um, cause. So contingent mat matters are those things which can or cannot happen. And we know that in the will, there's certain things where we can or can't will. We, we do or do not will, which is also a, um, 
an argument towards uh, the freedom of the will. Now, particular operations are contingent, and therefore in such matters, the judgment of reason may follow opposite courses and is not determinate to one. So our will isn't necessarily determinant to however we act, but in our judgments of reason, they're contingent. They may go one way or they may go the other way. And for as much as man is rational, it is necessary that he have a free will. So we know that it, it's necessary in, in our nature as a rational animal, one that uses its reason to follow certain courses and not determined necessarily to a certain end that we are, that we have this uh, power of free will. So this is very important to, um, in these discussions, to define our terms and define it exactly in the way that St. Thomas is talking about it. Because when you especially talk to certain traditions, such as the Reformed, who are going to, uh, or for example, read Luther's Bondage of the Will or, or whatever, it's, there's, there's not this prolegomena of discussing exactly what we mean by free will. Basically, it's just equivocating and talking past because when the reformed are going to talk about free will, uh, what they're what they're specifically referring to is that bondage to sin that the um, that the person has pre-conversion, which, as we'll see in St. Thomas, there's a place in his theology for this bondage of the will. So let's get to the objections because this is very, 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 very helpful, very helpful. In, in dealing with uh, some of the problem verses, then dealing with actually some very modern objections. The thing about St. Thomas is when you read the Summa, the it's almost as the ink is still wet, if you know what I'm saying, that it's, it's dealing with issues that you're going to deal with. Subjection so one, it would seem that man has not free will, for whoever has free will does what he wills, but man does not what he wills, for it is written, for the good which I will, I do not with the evil which I will not, that I do. Therefore, man has not free will. So basically, this objection right here is, if you have free will, you're going to do what you will. But we know from certain passages of Scripture that sometimes, and from experience, that sometimes you do the things that you don't really want to do. Therefore, we don't have free will. We act from necessity. So let's get down to the reply. So as we have said above, the sensitive appetite which is um, which is our which are sensory faculties, though it obeys the reason, yet in a given case can resist, but by desiring what the reason forbids. This therefore the good which man does not do what he wishes, namely not to desire against reason, as Augustine says. So what St. Thomas is saying here is that there is, in the case of experience in Scripture, where we see that our sensitive faculties um, may incline against reason, and it may overtake us, and we may act like brute animals in some way, where we are acting towards this almost instantaneous inclination towards sin, and that our reason is darkened. But this does not uh, necessarily argue against that faculty that we have, just because they're this is really the exception which proves the rule because we know that this isn't something which is natural and inherent in man. Okay, objection two. 
these are these are really the the test verses that you'll get from some of the pop reformed, which I will not name. Okay, River Devereaux. Objection two. Further, whoever has free will has in his power to will or not to will, to do or not to do. But this is not in man's power, for it is written Romans 9.16, It is not of him that willeth, namely to will, nor of him that runneth, namely to run. Therefore, man is not free will. Let's, this is kind of exactly the same objection as before, but with a, with a different verse. So let's get to reply to objection two. Those words of the apostle are not to be taken as though man does not wish or does not run of his free will, but because the free will is not sufficient thereunto unless it is moved and helped by God. Very important. Talking about the relationship between the will of God and the will of man, the um, there is what later uh, Thomas will call the pre-motion of the will. That man's will is moved by the will of God, but it is moved in a free way. So as a certain Reformed theologian uh, said, I can't remember exactly which one, but he said that the... Um, the foundation, I think it was Petrus von Maastricht, the foundation of the will of man is the will of God. Without the will of God, the will of man will not exist because the will of God is the first cause of the will. So very important to understand this relation of pre-motion because in a, in a sense, um, we're talking about a will, a free will, which is both free but it's willed by God to be free. So in that same sense, it's moved by God. Okay, now let's go to objection three. This is going to get more into the philosophical. So further, what is free is cause of itself, as the philosopher says. Therefore, what is... Actually, this is kind of similar to the last one. This is getting a bit more into pre-motion. So therefore, what is moved by another is not free, but God moves the will. For it is written, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Whithersoever he will, he shall turn it. And Philippians 2.13, it is God who worketh in you both to will and to accomplish. Therefore, man has not free will. And this is going to be very important when you get into those discussions about pre-motion and about the, um, the first causality of the will of God, because... Some are going to some are going to respond to that. Well, that just completely destroys any any uh, uh, meaningful definition of a free will if God is is pre is uh, has pre motion of the will. But Saint Thomas is going to reply in the response to objection three down here. Free will is the cause of its own movement, because by his free will man moves himself to act. But it does not of necessity belong to liberty that what is free should be the first cause of itself, as neither for one thing to be the cause of another, it needs to be the first cause. So what, what the objector will have to prove is that just because something is caused means that it's not free, that the fact of pre-motion just totally destroys um, any sort of... Uh, any sort of um, liberty that there is to the will. 
God, therefore, is the first cause who moves causes both natural and voluntary. So God, in his pre-motion of things, acts in different ways when it comes to different objects. In some objects, such as the stone example, it's gonna, he's going to act in without uh, giving the object a voluntary faculty, but acting through it in its natural faculties. But with a voluntary agent like man, he's going to cause it in a, in a voluntary way. And just as by moving natural causes, he does not prevent their act, acts being natural. So, I mean, really, this is a brilliant argument because if you're going to argue against um, voluntary acts being voluntary because God is the first cause, now go to natural acts. Are natural acts not natural because God is the first cause? Because everybody's going to agree that the first cause of, of the stone moving downward is going to be God. Does this destroy the nature of a stone? And he goes on. So by moving voluntary causes, he does not deprive their actions of being voluntary, but rather is he the cause of this very thing in them for he operates in each thing according to its nature. So again, the will of God and its effects are various and it's according to the capacity in which each one acts. So he does not destroy the nature of the thing, but he establishes the nature of the thing. So just as he establishes the nature of natural things, just as he establishes the, uh, the way in which animals work in their, um, in their rational yet not free acts, so also in the voluntary acts of man. So he establishes it. Okay, let's get to objection four. I can't remember which one is the last one I, I think i didn't want to do five is that the one so objection four further whoever has free will is master of his own actions but man is not the master of his own actions for it is written in jeremiah ten twenty three, the way of a man is not his neither is it in a man to walk therefore man has not free will okay let's get into the objection to four Man's way is said not to be his in the execution of his choice, wherein he may be impeded, whether he will or not. The choice itself, however, is in us, but presupposes the help of God. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward one right there. Okay, there we go. Five, yeah, five is the one that was, um, yeah, five is the one that was a bit not irrelevant it's just it wouldn't be pedagogically prudent for me to for me to go at now we'll be answering some questions afterwards if you have any but uh copo <laughs> he says meanwhile pacifist thomas be doing streams every other week yes this is not pacifism this is purely militant where i am attempting to indoctrinate every single one of you in thomism so this i think is article two is also important Although this is another one that's still a bit abstract. I'm not going to go through uh, Article 3 and 4 because I think that gets a little bit too abstract to where it's useful to a certain um, a certain group. But I, I just don't think it's um, I don't think it would be as useful for me to for me to go through. It'll get, it'll get a little bit too um, abstract, that is to say. But I think there are some really good um, points that he makes here that really helps understand what we mean by, by free will. So whether free will is a power. So 
On the contrary, nothing but a power seemingly is the subject of a habit, but free will is a subject of grace, by the help of which it chooses what is good. Therefore, free will is a power. So this question is asking whether free will is a power, as would be, um, trying to think of another example of a power. Um, let's say the, the power of a, of a person to walk. That would be an example of a power. Our faculty to walk. That's a power. We have the power to walk. Or whether it's a habit. And the habit is a, um, a certain inclination of the, of the will towards choosing certain things. So, for example, um, all the virtues are habits, but uh, we may have the habit towards lust that are we are inclined towards um, lustful, lustful things. That would be a habit or a vice. So I answer that although free will in its strict sense denotes an act in the common manner of speaking, we call free will. That which is the principle of the act by which man judges freely. Now, in us, the principle of an act is both a power and a habit. For we say that we know something both by knowledge and by the intellectual power. Therefore, free will must either be a power or a habit or a power with a habit. That it is neither a habit nor a power together with a habit can be clearly proved in two ways. So first of all, because if it is a habit, it must be a, actually, I think, I think I just, yeah, four of you just left. So I think I just went full meme and I think I chose the wrong one. Let me, let me I think I meant to do three. Man, this is an absolute boomer stream moment right here. Well, maybe I meant to do some objections. Totally sorry, guys. This was an absolute. No, I think I just meant to do one. Completely sorry, guys, for wasting the last like three minutes of your life. Um, I guess I can still finish reading this if you guys are interested. And I'll explain as I go along. Because now you're wondering whether it's a power or a habit. First of all, because if it is a habit, it must be a natural habit. For it is natural to man to have a free will. So it's not a supernatural habit, obviously. Therefore, it must be a natural habit. But there is not natural habit in us with respect to those things which come under free will. For we are naturally inclined to those things of which we have natural habits. For instance, to assent to first principles. Whilst those things to which we are naturally inclined are not the subject of free will, as we have said, the desire of happiness. Wherefore, it is against the very notion of free will that it should be a natural habit, and that it should be a non-natural habit it is against its nature. Therefore, it is no sense a habit. So Thomas argues from two directions here. So first, it can't be non-natural because everybody has it. And it can't be a natural habit because we're habituated towards non-natural things. So it can't be either a non-natural habit and it can't be a natural habit because first it's natural, which would only leave this and it can't be a natural habit from the nature of a natural habit. And then second, this is clear because habits are defined as that 
by reason of which we are well or ill disposed with regard to actions and passions. For by temperance we are well disposed as regards concupiscences, and by intemperance ill disposed. And by knowledge we are well disposed to the act of the intellect when we know the truth, and by the contrary ill disposed. But the free will is indifferent to good and evil choices. Wherefore it is impossible for free will to be a habit, therefore it is a power. So free will by its very nature um, doesn't incline to good or evil. It's, um, it's dependent upon some, some prior habit to it. So since the free will is habituated itself towards either good or evil, it itself cannot be a habit. Man, I can't believe I, I, I could have swore that I had, um, that I had something else. I think objection to three is really good here because um, it deals with this objection three. I think this is, might be what I was thinking about as objection three. So objection three. Further, no natural power is forfeited through sin, but free will is forfeited through sin. For Augustine says that man, by abusing free will, loses both it and himself. Therefore, free will is not a power. So notice, this is going to be, a, as a quote from Augustine, and as a general principle, when it comes to the pop reformed, or, or those you may engage in online that are called hyper-Calvinists, although I don't think a group like that exists. So... Augustine says some weird things, and some later Augustinians say some weird things, where it says that we lose our free will. Now, what does he mean by that? Because if you mean that faculty of judgment whereby we may incline to a certain object or not incline to that object, that would be absurd. What do you mean? I can't choose whether to have coffee in the morning because I've, I'm, I'm in sin? Is that what you're talking about, St. Augustine? Well, of course not. And St. Thomas makes a very important distinction when we are in these discussions to help us not equivocate. So he says, man is said to have lost free will by falling into sin, not as to natural liberty, which is freedom from coercion. So another way we speak about this is natural liberty. That's what I mean by whether I'm going to choose through my judgment to have coffee or not this morning, or whether I'm going to choose for my judgment, whether to go to sleep at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Those are examples of natural liberty. But, 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 there is a sense in which we talk about losing the free will. But as regards freedom from fault and unhappiness. So when we, for instance, read uh, Luther's On the Bondage of the Will, or we read these these other works from the from the reformed especially that seem especially harsh when it refers to us losing our freedom we ought to understand it if we were to understand it in an orthodox sense in the second way that person has um, has lost the the power in a sense to do good because from by sin, he has been habituated to evil. So the judgment is still happening. The free will decision is still happening. But because of the nature of the habit of sin, which the person has, and they've not been habituated through the infusion of grace, they're going to choose um, 
that evil way. And therefore, we can say in that very restricted sense that man has lost the free will and that the man gains it um, in redemption. And of this, we should treat later in Prima Secundae question 85. And then also uh, question 109, which would be interesting places to look at the sense in which we can speak of the loss of the free will. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that next time. Um, but kind of for the future, for future reference, I'm going to be looking through certain sections of the Summa that I find particularly interesting, which I find that me going through and explaining it to you guys would be uh, would be very helpful. So that's all I have for you today. There will not be a fourth stream tonight. Um, you all get some good rest tonight. Uh, make sure you check out that stream that I had, which was evening prayer. You all better be praying. Um, I would rather have you guys not watch any of my videos than have a bad prayer life. If you have the time to watch me, you have the time to pray. Trust me, do your offices. Um, remember, join the discord if you want to keep talking about this. Um, and I will see you tomorrow. Uh, let me check. I'm not sure whether I have an interview planned for tomorrow or what I've planned. I take this day by day, uh, February 7th. Let me check. I do not have one. The next one will be February 8th, which will be um, about canon law, which should be a great one. Tomorrow, I will look through my massive uh, list of topics, which I planned. Or if you're in the Discord or you want to if you wanna DM me or whatever, suggestions for topics, I always like to take suggestions. So um, I'll cover basically whatever you guys would find helpful. So I will see you guys tomorrow, and God bless. Glory.